we have been journeying through the Gospel of John. And as we have finished through the 21 chapters, it feels like, well, we're done with the Gospel of John, but I hope not. I hope we're not done with the Gospel of John, and I hope the Gospel of John is not done with us. As I was talking about this with the group of us that gather together on Monday mornings to talk about the, the passages that are coming up next, it, it felt to us like it would be helpful still for us to take a couple of these charges that are found in the last couple chapters of the book. There's some commissions or mandates given to us by Jesus that stepping into those a little more and seeing how those kind of actually flow through the gospel as a whole, the gospel of John, might help us to put that together, to uh, take more of this gospel of John with us as we continue to walk in God's life in Jesus' name. So then, where I want to turn your, well, let me pause there just for a moment before we turn somewhere else. I want us to first think that in line with that, uh, there was something that emerged in the news this week that caught my attention because of how it resonated for me right with what I wanted to share this morning. And that's a, a terrible story, really, out of Dallas, Texas, where there was a... Where there was a woman police officer who, coming on the end of her 13-hour shift, she's arriving home. She's texting on her phone. She's not paying close attention. Uh, she, she pulls into the fourth floor of the parking garage with her apartment instead of the third floor, which she lives on. She moves to what she believes down the hall. You know you can do this with your eyes closed. And, and she arrives at what she, what she thinks is her apartment, sees the door ajar, she draws her weapon, she steps in, and there's somebody in the apartment. And in the course of the events that rapidly follow this man who was sitting on the couch in his apartment, directly above hers, is shot and killed. She's eventually charged with murder. As the evidence is all presented and what exactly happened, she is convicted of murder. And she is sentenced in Texas. It's the jury that gives the sentence as well as the um, guilty or not guilty, the verdict. And so once the sentence has also been handed down by the jury, then there's an opportunity for a member of the family to make a statement to her. And the brother, the younger brother of this man who had died, Botham Jean, uh, the family's from St. Lucia, he... He, he says these things that are quite remarkable. He, he, he told this woman that his brother would have wanted her to turn her life over to Christ and that if she can ask God for forgiveness, he will give it. He says to her, I love you as a person. I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't wish evil upon you. And then he said to this 31-year-old woman before adding, Speaking to the court in general, I'm not sure if this is possible, but could I give her a hug? And this scene played out across the news media, and people were stunned. You think about the, the racial dynamics in this story as well, and Dallas has been through this a few times. And it's a, it's, a, it's a highly loaded, though that's not actually what really caught the news at first. It's what happened next when after the family speaks, and so the judge is, is giving some now exhortation, her own personal words to the convicted, and the judge is allowed to do that. The trial is ended, and, and the woman says to the judge, but 
I don't have a Bible. Can anybody give me a Bible? And so the judge steps down from the bench, and she goes and retrieves her own personal Bible and gives it to the woman. And then she's given it to the woman. She says, could you also give me a hug? And she does. And that's the part, that giving of the Bible, probably wasn't the hug, but the giving of the Bible in the midst of that (gasps) created a firestorm. What is that judge doing? A Freedom From Religion Foundation jumps right in there and says, this cannot, this must not be a judge doing such a thing and acting in such a way. And that easily misses so much of what happened there. You see, there's the gospel in that terrible story. And you see the gospel only because it is such a terrible story, much like our own human brokenness. But in the midst of a, of a terrible story, you see the gospel. This woman has murdered somebody that she did not go intending to murder. That certainly wasn't the way she started her day. And yet because of her own miscalculation and assumptions and lack of care, she ends up taking an innocent man's life and paying dearly for it. And yet... Did you see that? God will forgive. You took the life of one dear to me, the brother said, and yet I don't want evil for you. He's expressing the very heart of God. Because of your sin, because of your guilt, my son died. In order that you could have my forgiveness in his name, he's purchased it for you. Won't you receive it? There's the gospel in that story expressed by that 18-year-old young man. He's expressing what God felt. And then by the judge, after justice is met, after justice has been satisfied, now love is free to embrace one human to another. Our justice was satisfied in Jesus so that God, who made us in his own image, is now free to embrace us. Won't we come and receive? It's a wonderful gospel story in the midst of a very terrible story. And that, that, that story and the forgiveness expressed there reminded me of a, a point that we touched on a couple of weeks ago, but in the connection of the passage as a whole, I felt like we could spend more time there. And it's one of the commissions that Jesus gives in the close of the Gospel of John to his disciples, so I wanted us to turn back there to John chapter twenty. And verse 19. John chapter 20 from verse 19. If you're using the church Bible, you'll find us on page 907. Also, I think we'll have it up here on the screen in just a moment. John chapter 20 and verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. Then he said this to them. He showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Peace, the fullness of life, restored relationship, harmony as it ought to be in life with God and one another. That's shalom. That's what it means. As the Father has sent me, and this peace with us now, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. 
And that last line is a troubling statement for us. We're not sure what to make of that. It's often taken in incorrect ways. And yet it's a strong statement still that we do have to wrestle with and do something with. As I thought of that, that statement, I was, I was uh, wondering to myself, and I was thinking of this story with the Dallas police officer and the, what happened in that courtroom, and, and it's quite a, quite, a, quite a turn for that whole event to be known for. What is known out of that event? And it's this drama of forgiveness, the extending of God's word one to another. What would we as a church, one of our deacons likes to pose the question. He's provoked me with this question a couple of times. You can ask it a couple different ways. He says, what, what is it that Brush Prairie Church is known for in our community? Or, to turn that around, what would be missing in our community if this church no longer existed here on this corner? What is it that we add or must add into our community that would be removed if we we're not, or if we do not, what would be missing? And there's lots of things that we would participate in that relate to the, the, um, the core aspects of the gospel. There's things like the reconciliation that's played out in marriage team ministry. I was at a, at a dinner last night and heard about a church that has just taken that whole marriage team model of training Christian couples as coaching to co coaches to coach other couples. And they've taken that and run with it. About half of their staff have been trained as coaches. Um, probably a third of the, of the couples in their church, married couples in their church, have been trained to be coaches of others. At least half the couples in their church have gone through that coaching at one time or another. It is it has become a part of the DNA of the church and it leaks out from them. They're known for this in the community. They have constant ministry to couples in the community in the community because their people are are um, doing this coaching for other couples in the community just as the model ought to work a contribution that they're known for that has something about the gospel in it because don't we understand the gospel out of a marriage framework or a right marriage framework? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So there's, there's, there's a bridge there in this very real need of the community around us into the gospel and the nature of God himself. Options 360 has some of that, the, the, the transformation or the change from a, from a young woman who is, who is shamed by her pregnancy to being um, shown the, the honor and the joy of being the mother of a child. The transformation, the gospel transformation that we see through a ministry like Freedom House and broken lives changed and transformed. Things that we want to be a part of as a church, but something for us that could flow out of us especially and particularly because of who we are is this call that Jesus gives his disciples to forgive. A mandate, he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you withhold forgiveness then it is withheld. That's a serious statement. And yet it also tell, it tells us what we must not do, and it also tells us what we can and must do because of the intrinsic relation of that to us in our relationship with God. 
this notion of forgiveness. Jesus commissions his disciples in John. He, as he does this, he breathes upon them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And there's this spirit thing going on that we'll see fulfilled at Pentecost. And we're not sure what's happening here. But it's certainly there's an echo from Genesis chapter 2 when God forms man out of the dust of the earth and he's an inanimate. And then he breathes on into man the breath of life. It's the same exact structure that's used here in this passage. From the Greek version of the Old Testament to John, it's an exact quote. He's drawing that image, and it's also used, that same terminology is used when somebody plays a flute, and they breathe on or breathe in. You can understand the term both ways. They breathe on and into that flute, and this lifeless instrument plays beautiful music. I was telling Debbie Irwin after the first service, I said, every time now I see you on stage, seeing that word connection into this, every time I see you on stage, I'm going to think that's the spirit in us making music like she does by blowing life into that flute. That's us. And when Jesus says, as he blows the life of God upon us, he connects that to our extending forgiveness of sins. Okay, hold on to that thought. That that life, did you know that in the book of Acts, the filling of the Spirit, every time the filling of the Spirit is mentioned, every time the book of Acts says, and they were filled with the Spirit, you know what always happens next? They are sharing the gospel with somebody. Every time, check it out, the filling of the Spirit is always connected then with the telling and sharing of the gospel with others, the extending of God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ to others. Every time, that's what the Spirit is doing in us. That's the music he plays. It's a forgiveness song. Forgiveness. Now then, there's some, there's some theological aspects to this. There's some historical and practical aspects to this charge that if you, if you forgive sins, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. Well, there's an interesting note in the Net Study Bible they, they explain that statement this way. They say the statement by Jesus about forgive or retain anyone's sins is probably not referring to apostolic power or authority to forgive or retain the sins of individuals. We understand that it is God who forgives sins. You don't go to a man for God's forgiveness. You go to God through Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. We understand that. And yet, it does refer to the power or the authority of the apostles and the church to proclaim this forgiveness which has been entrusted to them. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, describes it this way. God was in the world. How was God in the world? Anybody know? Gospel of John, Jesus, the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. God was in the world. What was he doing, Paul? Reconciling the world to himself. And then he goes on, and he has committed, he's entrusted, he's put into our hands this ministry of reconciliation. Jesus was reconciling the world to himself and he's given us that ministry. It's ours now to do. He has committed to us further, Paul says, the word of reconciliation, the message of how reconciliation, the forgiveness of our sins and the restored right relationship with God, how does that happen? In Jesus. He has put that in our hands. If we don't tell, they won't know. Historically, God had used Israel 
and thus its temple, and thus the synagogues later on, as centers out of which the knowledge of the merciful, gracious God of Israel could be known to the world. Historically now, he's moving. Jesus is taking that commission from Israel, and he's putting it onto the body of Christ. He's putting it onto the church. He has given this to us. There's a historical shift that's going on there. The disciples who are going to be pushed out of the synagogues, they are the ones who wear the mantle of God's gospel and mercy messengers. Practically, people need to hear of God's forgiveness of them through human lips. God forgives because of Jesus. And yet we hear of that through human lips. And Christians who know they are forgiven by God, who know their, their, their guilt is removed, their sins are gone, we still need to hear that from one another through human lips. I remember at the men's roundup a couple of years ago, I heard a man say and talking even about his men's groups, an accountability group with other brothers where they're able to confess their sins to one another without shame and hiding them and to pray for one another that they might be strengthened and healed. Well, that's a James, a biblical thing to do. And yet we'll often shy away from that and say, no, 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 I just go to Jesus, that's all, I, just Jesus and me. Yet God's word says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And he says, because I need to hear the grace of God from others. He put it this way. He said, the grace of God from you is stronger than the grace of God in me. What did he mean by that? The grace of God from you is stronger than the grace of God in me. I know I'm forgiven, but there are times when I need to hear that from others who validate that reality that ends in God's word, who validate that externally outside myself to me. I know it, and yet I need to hear it from you. You know it. You know you're forgiven, and yet you need to hear of that forgiveness from one another, right? That's what he's saying. So we still need to hear of God's forgiveness through human lips. Now, at the same time, we don't want to limit what Jesus is telling us here about the gospel of God's forgiveness to others. We don't want to limit it to just the telling of the gospel to others, the telling of others that they can be forgiven. That's not all that Jesus is saying here. We, we live in and give out God's life in Jesus. We give out God's life in Jesus by, by, by telling that forgiveness to others. We live in God's life in Jesus by living in that same forgiveness and reconciliation one to another that we can then give out to the people around us. When John is reminding the church in Ephesus and beyond of our mandate to practice and to proclaim forgiveness, to practice and to proclaim forgiveness, he meant within the church as well as people around us who don't believe. Now, say all of that isn't right there in verse 23. Maybe Bob is just making that up. Well, Paul also wrote to the church at Ephesus and Colossae, which is right next door, and he says in both of those letters the same thing. In fact, he urges the church to forgive one another even as God in Christ has forgiven you. He says, as you've been forgiven, live out that forgiveness toward one another. Let's look at the expression of that because he unpacks it more in more detail in Colossians chapter 3. 
Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones. You are God's chosen ones. You are chosen. You have been made children of God. And as God's chosen, holy and deeply loved, the NIV says. Holy and deeply loved. That's you. It, it wouldn't hurt just to soak in that just for a minute. Do you realize God calls you deeply loved? <sighs> Put on, then, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, patience that bears with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another, even as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, now, as I read that just then, I didn't read it correctly, did I? Some of you caught that. Some of you read that I, I, I some of you caught that I put the also after instead of before one time, and I, I missed something, and I wasn't trying to be cute. I just misread it as I was saying it because I have the verse in my head as well, and my thoughts are rushing a little bit ahead of what I'm reading, but you're not going to come to me afterwards and say, now, Bob, when you read it, you need to read it exactly. You're going to just bear with me on that, right? That's something that you can just let go. I messed it up. I read it wrong. Some of you will be helped somehow this morning by being able to tell me, Bob, you were wrong. Okay, we got that out of the way. But, but we know what it is to forbear one another, right? That's what I was trying to, trying to, trying to work out with the kids earlier. There's things that, are, that we just bear with one another because... I don't know if you've picked up on this yet, but none of us are home yet. None of us are perfected yet. We've still got a few rough edges here and there. That's why some of you are not sitting quite so close to that person also in the same row with you because they've got rough edges and, and, and you don't want to get poked or scraped or you don't want that cat in your lap because you never know when those claws are going to take off, right? So... But we, we bear with one another. But there's also the times when there, there's been a wrong. There's been a hurt. There's a complaint. And it needs to be healed. It needs to be confessed so that it can be forgiven. It may not be being confessed, so it might need to be confronted so that it can be confessed or agreed to. And it can be healed. Both are needed. Now, it's a trick sometimes to figure out, well, are we in a forbearing moment or are we in a forgiving moment? But both of those are needful, and that is the essence of reconcilia reconciliation that can be lived out within God's family. And if, what if, what if, what if, we did that so well? We didn't just tell other people they could be forgiven. What if we did that so well that people could smell it on us. Say, well, what does that smell like? Well, I don't know. But you get the idea. It was just there, and you could sense it, and you could feel it, that there's a forgiveness among. Didn't Jesus say, they'll know, they'll know you are my disciples if you what? Have love for one another. Does forgiveness go along with that? 
And does lack of forgiveness or withholding of forgiveness, does that get in the way of that love for one another? Does it create a distance and a, a, a lack of harmony, a pulling apart of relationship? They'll know that this is real when they see forgiveness in us and they experience it from us. What if we are so good at this forgiveness thing that we ended up with a reputation? You can get a reputation for lots of different things I've learned along the way. But this difference between forgiving and restoring, speaking of, of the ways that people hear it and react to it, it reminds me of another story made the news this week after that miserable Sunday night football game where the Dallas Cowboys lost to the Green Bay Packers. That wasn't the big news of the night. Apparently, the big news of the night was who was watching the game together. Did you see it? Who was watching that game in the Dallas Cowboys owner's box together? Did you see it? It's scandalous. There they are, Ellen and George. And you know, you know that got some social media response, didn't it? Huh? Wow, did it. We got to hear what every celebrity across the country thought about Ellen sitting next to and sharing a laugh with George W. Bush, of all people. How could you sit next to him with what he stands for? And Well, she responded to that. And I wanted to share Ellen's words. During the game, they showed a shot of me and George laughing together. And so people were upset. DeGeneres explained on her show Tuesday, they thought... Why is this gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? She continued, when I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean to be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter. Wow. There's a little bit of the gospel there, too. Be kind, tenderhearted forgiving one another. So the kindness that forbears with, of forbearing with is we don't agree on a lot of things that probably most things they don't agree on and they didn't even agree on the football game. The real scandal, the real, it, it, it might have seemed terrifying for Ellen to sit there next to George Bush because he's such a, a, a conservative person. It might be, must have been terrifying for her to sit next to him. The real terrifying thing was to be the only Packers fan in the Dallas Cowboy owner's box. Can you imagine what that is like? I mean, she had her, her cheesehead hat in her bag next to her the whole time. I don't know if she ever got it out and put it on. But uh, that must have been scary for her. And yet there's this forbearing with and even able to enjoy one another even in the midst. You know, that is a scandal in our culture today. We have this divided tribalism that we're in this camp and that camp and you're with them. You cannot be with them. There is this second degree separation that is embraced and endorsed in our culture today. The funny thing is, it used to be what the church was accused of. It used to be what Baptists were accused of, was you guys have this secondary separation where you separate yourselves from anybody that sees things differently than you do. In fact, you won't even be associated with people who associate with those people who see things differently than you do. And now that is affirmed and celebrated. In fact, it's demanded by some in our culture. You see how the church has impacted the culture? What if? What if instead... We became known for this 
scandalous tolerance and forbearing of one another and even forgiving one another when we've been wrong, we became so known for that 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 even leaked out into the culture around us. And that we somehow impacted the culture around us in an attitude of forbearance, of, of loving others anyway, of forgiving one another, of being able to even gently approach and seek to extend a bridge even when there's been a hurt or a wrong. Well, how do I know if I should forbear or if I should confront seeking to be able to forgive? How do I know if I should say something or not? I have this thing in me. This happened. Is this a forbearing moment? I just let it go? Or is this a time when, no, I need to, I need to seek restoration. There needs to be confession and forgiveness here. How do I know which of these it is? Well, can you let it go? See, oftentimes we don't forgive the way that we've been forgiven. When we are forgiven, God remembers it no more. It doesn't keep nagging at him. Yeah, I love them, I forgave them, but I remember what they did, and I'm a little careful around them. He doesn't do it that way. If, 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 if instead of instead of letting it go, I still lay it alongside and it's causing me to withdraw. It's causing some distance. That tells you this is not a forbear thing. This is a forgive thing. And so I need to be able to open this up with them so that it can be forgiven. There could be restoration. If it's causing you to withdraw. If, if confession is made, if somebody comes to you, then uh, there's the obvious one. Maybe, maybe you hadn't realized it, but they come to you and said, you know, I did something wrong against you. I, 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 I think I hurt you in this way. Embrace the forgiveness. You don't even need to make light of it. You, if you weren't impacted, well, share that. Let them know they didn't hurt you as, 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 they, as badly as they thought that they had, but still there was something between you, and you're so glad that they brought it up that that doesn't linger between you anymore. So if somebody comes to you, you didn't see it, but they saw it, receive that, affirm that, continue. What if the confession, maybe you confront and their confession apology seems just a little weak. It's one of those postmodern apologies, you know. If I have in some way offended you by something that I did, I, I apologize for that. You know that? That doesn't quite do it, does it? That's kind of a no-sugar, low-fat, gluten-free, non-dairy, vegetarian apology. And now I've offended somebody. <laughs> Maybe you will just forbear. Bear with me on that. But if not, please, please speak to me afterwards. That just, that just didn't quite satisfy that, that, that kind of apology. That, that need, needs to be able to, uh, confess means to say the same. It means to agree that, yeah, that's what it was, and yeah, that was wrong. And that's why I'm sorry. How do we, how do we, how do we bring that up? Maybe, maybe the apology seems a little weak. We need to go further. Maybe you can affirm, thank you for, thank you for saying that. I, I, I really, I really, I need you to, to know how, how, how I've felt in this. There's a, there's a model that marriage team um, uses. I, I mentioned marriage team earlier. We went to this dinner last night celebrating marriage team. And, and um, 
they had two of our own are on the marriage team coaches honor roll. Did you know that? We singled them out first service, but it's Bob and Bonnie Schilling and Daryl and Linda Libby. They are on their honor roll for the number of different couples that they have coached using the marriage team model. That's wonderful. And now comes the recruiting pitch. The marriage team is looking for more Christian couples that will be willing to be trained as coaches for other couples. Talk to them. Talk to me. We'd love to see more of us involved in that. But they have a model that they use in, in terms of, of, of tools that are helpful in couples reconnecting and communicating again together. And one of those models is the IFBI statements. The IFBI statement is, first of all, it's an I statement, not a you statement. You're talking about I, myself. You're not talking about you and what you do and, and why you do that. And I'm talking about me because I know me. I'm not in your head. You're not in Bob's head. Bob's head is sort of a scary place to be. You're, but you're not there. You're, you're in your head. So I can talk about I. You can talk about you. So I statements. And I statements that talk about how I feel. How I feel about the B is a particular behavior. It's important that it's okay to talk about feelings. I may not have the right interpretation of all this or why you did that or what actually happened, but I know how I feel out of it. And only I can know how I feel. And my feelings are not going to create an argument because I'm allowed my feelings, whether they're legit in somebody else's mind or not. They are my feelings. So I will talk about I and how I felt in this situation with specific behavior. You see, we, we tend to excuse ourselves based on motives or intentions that we know we had ourselves. This was my intention. I didn't mean to. And yet others don't necessarily judge us or excuse us by our intentions or motives because they don't know them. They're not in our heads. They only know what they saw us do, and they will interpret that out of their own past experience. And out of that, we easily assign motives or intentions to others that are maybe different. They're often far worse than the motives we would assign to ourselves. It's an error that we commonly do. So let's just focus on when you're confronting somebody or sharing a hurt, I feel concerning this behavior, and it has impacted me in this way. That's the IFBI, and that's the short, dirty version of it. You'd like to know more? We've got a couple of marriage team honor roll coaches that would love to unpack that with you more. But on that basis, then you can, you can go to your brother. You can go to your sister. Maybe they just don't see it. You might have to come back with others who also are aware of the same thing. You might want to just let it go at that point. It may be that I don't know if I should go forward and confront because, you know, there's this, sometimes there's a power distance thing, right? Sometimes you, you're, you've been hurt, but you're afraid to bring it up because you don't know how the other person's going to respond. Maybe they're going to respond in a way that's even more hurtful, and it's going to pile on. And out of that fear you'll withdraw instead. I'm not going to bring it up. I'm just going to let it go, but you're not able to let it go. If you're not able to let it go, find a way to bring it up. Not in an accusatory way, but I need to let you know how I've felt. And go from there. You are, you are allowed your feelings. 
and go from there. If you need to go with other witnesses as well, as Jesus says in Matthew 18, return to your brother or sister with, with, with witnesses. These are not witnesses that you have told, okay? Those are gossip friends. Witnesses instead are, are those who are also aware of the same thing and aware of the impact of it or that that shouldn't be, that that's harmful. That they can also, sometimes, I can speak from experience, sometimes people can be hard-headed. Sometimes it's hard for, to get Bob to see a different perspective, and yet when I hear that from two or three people, I realize I'm the one that's got to readjust my perspective because these all are seeing it differently. That's one of the things I love about our elder board. Our elder board is a, is a bunch of godly men together, and they don't, they, don't, they don't walk lockstep with Bob. Aren't you glad for that? Now, you may love Bob and say, yes, they should, but no. Well, Bob doesn't always get it. Bob sometimes just thinks out loud, and that's actually a crazy idea. And we shouldn't do that, at least not yet. And, and there's wisdom around the table, and we realize that, that when that wisdom around the table comes to consensus, others seen it the same way, then that's something to grab hold of. And so when others have seen it differently than me, maybe I need to recalibrate and adjust my perspective, even if it's about me. So there's where the going with others. The going with others is not to hammer them, to trap them, to prove it. The going with others is hopefully to persuade and convince, to return to reconciliation, to harmony together. And leave room when you're needing to raise a, a fault, a hurt, a complaint, so that it can be healed. When you do that, leave room. Or when you're approached on that, leave room for the possibility that some of this may be with you. It may be that I was hurt, but maybe I was hurt because I'm like Bugsy the cat. And I've got some things in my background that cause me to react to things differently than I otherwise might. I've got a sensitive spot there that somebody else happened to push. And maybe they were pushing buttons a little bit anyway. But maybe it hurt more because I've got a, I've got a, a sensitive spot there. Maybe it's like the doctor. You know the doctor's office and he, and, he, and, he, and he pokes you and pushes you here and there? And some of those places he pokes you and you say, ow, and that's okay because it's supposed to hurt when he pokes you there. And if, he, if it doesn't, it's a problem. Some of the places he pokes, you say, ow! He says, well, that's very interesting because it's not supposed to hurt like that when I poke you there. There's something else that needs attention. Leave room that some of this could be with you, whether you're the one who's been hurt or certainly you didn't realize it, but somebody's telling you that they were hurt. Leave room for the possibility that some of that does rest with you. We are not done yet. We are not perfected yet. And, and the scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, right? And what happens when iron sharpens iron? Sparks fly at times. And I, and I can imagine if the iron could speak, that the iron might say, ouch, that hurts. That shaving down, that removing parts of these rough edges, that hurts. And yet, it needs to happen for the iron to sharpen the iron. And so there'll be some rubbing together that sometimes will be a little uncomfortable. But if there, in the rubbing of together, if we rub together, we're not perfect yet, so that this body of imperfect people in the name of Christ can practice forbearing and forgiving, 
that we can see what it looks like in real life among ourselves and that it leaks out of here to others, everybody will know that this is what following Jesus looks like. This is what, this is what living in God's life so that we can give out God's life in Jesus looks like. Jesus says, if you withhold forgiveness, it is withheld. The gap remains. And certainly that will be true of people who don't ever hear the gospel. It will also be true of distance, of separation in the church. If there is a hurt, if there is a distance, if there is a gap that we don't close and find the way to heal. I want to close Remind you of one more reason this is important. It's important because of our relationship together. It's important because this is, a, this is a huge testimony that we can live out before the world around us. But it's important because it impacts our relationship with God. That how we relate to people horizontally is also how we will relate to God. There are times when somebody hurts you and you need to know how do I heal that. Because there's going to also be times, aren't there, when you feel that God has hurt you. Or God has wronged you. Don't those times come also? If you can be as honest as Job, if you can be as honest as Habakkuk, you can say, yes, there are times when I felt that God also has hurt me. And if I, can't, if I don't know how to restore that, if I don't know how to come and bring that up with others, how will I know how to come and bring that up with God? If I learn to withdraw from others to insulate or protect my own hurts, then I will also at times withdraw from God to insulate, to protect myself from my own hurts. In closing, I want us to think about even today, this very day, even in this very room, practicing this thing. Maybe there's someone here who has hurt you, offended. You have a complaint. It's a you and them. It's not something you heard them do somewhere else. It's, it's a you and them thing. There's a distance that you're aware of. They might be oblivious to it. But you know that there's this hurt that lingers there. Or maybe you're aware that you probably hurt somebody. I want to encourage you, even today, while it's fresh, while you're thinking about it, while, you're, while your spirit is a little soft on this, take that next step of going to that person and saying, you know, I think I may have hurt you. Or I think I, I, there's something that I'm feeling that, that I need to tell you about. Take that next step toward being able to experience forgiveness together, join together. And then when, when that happens, take that next step in relationship as well. What do we do from here to take a next step closer so that this thing doesn't linger? Let's pray. Father, I do pray that we would do this well as a church, and so then I pray that we would do it even this morning as a church, that, Father, we could live in that reality that we're going to sing that I am forgiven. Lord, that's a special thing. We're going to sing about it in relation to Jesus, our Savior, who has forgiven us in ways we didn't deserve. And, oh, Lord, 
what if that same song could resonate in our hearts because somebody I hurt has forgiven me? Oh, Lord, that's guilt we want to be free from. We want to be so set free in the gospel together that we are free indeed as your children because we know your forgiveness and we know forgiveness one to another. Lord, give us the courage for that. Help us to take that risk of a step toward that end. And Lord, as we would also take and offer back to you now in this offering, that which you've given us that would be used to carry out our church's mandate of sharing the forgiveness that is in Jesus with the people in this community and in this world. Lord, that you would take, you would receive and you would bless what is given and use it to the glory of your Son, to the glory of the Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.